been a little more than a week since our big freeze event, and we've had time to do a pretty good diagnosis of how we got through it. We thought it might be worthwhile to sort of talk that through today. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of January 16th, 2014. Uh, you are so right in your introductory statement that it was cold and uh, it went down to 10 degrees, and we had to... Uh, We made some preparations, and I know you've written about that on the blog for the uh, website, but we also have had a chance now to completely assess the aftermath of that 10-degree weather. And the first thing I wanted to point out is what good notice we had that this was happening. We knew about five days in advance that we were going to have a pretty devastating freeze event. Um, And I guess it's my opportunity to say thank you to the National Weather Service. Little known fact, when you see your local weatherman waxing so eloquent about what's going to be coming, or weather woman, (laughs) um, they are using data provided to them by the National Weather Service. If you took the National Weather Service away from them, they would be clueless about what the weather's going to be. They can tell you what it is now because they have instruments to do that. But they wouldn't have any idea about what what the weather's going to be like five hours from now, let alone five days. All of that comes from big government. So when you get frustrated about big government, remember just how much we receive from it. And now I'll climb quietly down off my soapbox. But I, I too, am thankful for the National Weather Service and, and the dedicated meteorologists who do try to get that word out to us to explain what's going to happen. Um, I, I'm thankful for their interpreting because, you know, some of the news stations have better meteorologists than others. <clears throat> and Fair enough. Glad for them. And I, here, you know, here's another source of information. I, every now and then, walk past your shop and I hear the ham radio uh, operators True. discussing the weather. Now, they they have about as much knowledge as the local weather people, maybe a little less. They can tell you what's going on now and how they're feeling. But what's great <laughs> is to hear them talk about locally what, as you said, what's going on now. And maybe, oh, it's in Wetumpka now, so it's headed right. your way. Right. And uh, it is handy in severe weather. You're right. Yeah, to have and that. And when the weather is the top topic of conversation, as it certainly was last uh, Tuesday morning, that's right. It's, um, everybody has some useful data to share. And we realized that it was much worse even north of here, and our hearts and thoughts go out to those who suffered greater loss than we're going to talk about right now. So, um, yeah, it, just... and, and a little confession for those of you who live north of the Mason-Dixon line, to you 10 degrees in the wintertime is sort of, duh, what's the big deal? But it is a big deal in central Alabama. That's an unusually cold temperature, and neither our plants, our structures, or our bodies are prepared for it. Um, and it, it, this one was a long, a, a, a fairly long in duration event. 
it stayed below 15 degrees for about seven, maybe eight hours. Yeah, which is enough to do some real damage. Exactly. So we we knew, and we sort of knew that was going to be the case because the National Weather Service had told mm -hmm. us. So we were prepared. So um, there are several plants that we are able to tell you came through it just fine. And and let's talk about, you know, what, yeah, the, these are beds that of plants that we did not cover or protect in any way. Um, let's talk about those first, like the garlic. Didn't put any kind of frost blanket over the garlic. The garlic was unprotected was fine. and came through just fine. Same for the strawberry plants, so far as we can tell, as far as we can tell. Um, I They certainly already had that winter look to them to begin with. They didn't have any blooms. And from what I'm, I've read, um, you know, the, your main worry on a severe frost with strawberries is, or any kind of frost for that matter, um, is if they've bloomed. Yeah, if they had bloomed, which which would not normally would have happened in January. No. Uh, but if they had bloomed, then they would have been extremely vulnerable. Like anything below 32 degrees that's can right. be damaging yeah. the strawberries and, once they're blooming. And that's why, you know, in our area, late frosts are what you really really worry about. But at any rate, they're fine. Um, and we um, had a, some, some orchard plants, orchard trees, which is most of them that we haven't, we didn't protect. Um, but so on to talk about what we did do, the, the plants we did protect. Um Beds 9 and 11, which we've got, you know, we've talked about what's in those before. I know we had brassicas um, in <clears throat> both beds. Brussels sprouts and cabbage in one. That's 9. Yeah, and then 11 has, um, I'm happy to say still has, <laughs> kale, broccoli, uh, rutabagas, and collards. And, um, yeah, the rutabagas look a little distressed, but... Really, not too bad. I, I didn't see any damage on them at all. And the um, and I went out and looked at the actual fruit, you know, the root of the plant that we plan to eat, and it looks fine too. So, um, had some turnips that sailed right through, and even though they weren't covered up, so um, real pleased with the way those plants came through at all. But most of them were covered. Um, we did have some um, lettuce in a bed that just. Okay, before we get to the damage, let's yeah. finish talking about uh, we had some olives that we did wrap in frost blanket, okay. and they came through just fine. As did your pecans. And we had the pecans, pecans. wrapped in frost blanket, and to our knowledge, they, they're fine. They're dormant, so it's hard to tell. But, uh, and we your don't. Ki kiwi fruit. Kiwi fruit was already wrapped. It's not supposed to take anything below 32 degrees. Now, there's always possibility the kiwi fruit got damaged. We just won't know until the spring. And you're going to leave them wrapped. I'll leave them wrapped all winter. Yeah. So, so those a lot, as you said, on orchard plants, whether wrapped or not, we will not have a real answer until right. spring. But yes, back to your lettuce. Your lettuce just got clobbered. Yeah. Which we sort of expected. It was yes. already looking pretty peaked. Yeah. yeah. And we decided, okay, let's just let it go. And we did, and it's done now. Yeah. And you know what else I noticed was completely gone were those two artichoke plants that I had hmm. put out. Okay. They were sort of alone in a bed. They really didn't, and I did not choose to deploy frost blanket. I don't know whether that would have helped. I mean, artichoke is, I think it's dicey in this area anyway, and it okay. certainly did not appreciate 10-degree weather. Yeah. Um, most of the brassicas that were not protected in some way took it pretty hard. Yeah, they've got damage. Now, I've 
what I, from what I've read about collards and other plants that are supposed to be pretty cold hardy, kale, um, if they have foliar damage, leave that on the plant, which is what I'm doing, even though it looks pretty nappy. Um, leave the damaged plant on there. Don't cut it down uh, because that actually can, if there's any life left in the plant, um, will help protect it. So that's what I'm doing, and we'll just kind of play the waiting game and see what happens. Exactly. We made good photographs of all of this, and uh, I, I will include on the show notes page a link to the page on which I have cataloged all of the beds and how they came through before and after photos and so forth so you can see what's changed. But particularly when it comes to those damaged brassicas, um, if I'm a real man, I will continue to catalog their progression. And we'll see if they sort of recover from this mm -hmm. over the next few weeks. Right. We'll know. Um, but here's here's something interesting that I learned just day before yesterday. I went to the learning garden at Extension, Wetumpka. And we've talked about, actually in a previous podcast, comparing foliar damage on an earlier frost that was not nearly this severe. Um, and once again, we fared much better here than the learning garden. Now, we don't have any kind of um, gauge for exactly how low the temperature went, fell there, but it should be pretty much the same as here, just, you know, given the distance uh, and the latitude. Probably a, a degree or two cooler than Could be here cooler, because yeah. it's lower in, in altitude, and we think that makes a difference. It's an open area that on one side has nothing to protect it. I mean, the wind can come whipping across the field. So um, one thing, because what I'm about to tell you is that those plants were much more damaged than what we have here. But one thing you learned that is fascinating to me is that there were several of these beds that had a window screen insect barrier on them. And that window screen insect barrier appears to have provided some frost protection. Yes, the plants in the beds that had the um, cover were alive, which I, is more than I can say for the kale that I planted. The kale that I had in an open bed. In the learning garden. In the learning garden. Yes, in the learning garden. We're now talking about that. Um, was completely devastated. I mean, I cut it down. Um, in fact, I told you, I, even though I probably should have left a leaf or two, I didn't because I don't want it to look bad to other people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was here. I'm not so concerned about my appearance, but there I was. Um, but back to the screens, the way these things are constructed, and of course, the wheels are turning. I kind of like to do our own here, um, is it's you take PVC pipe, attach it to a frame, um, a wooden frame and then um, put screen over the top so that it's a, it's a sturdy, you know, rigid um, barrier type thing. But uh, relatively easy to see through. So we yes. think there's a, probably a pretty good bit of light penetration. Yeah, that's one thing we don't know. You know, we, we've talked about use of our Agrabon insect barrier before, and we're, you know, the Agrabon people tell you, you know, 90% of 90%. the sun. They can tell you. Ultraviolet right, light penetration. Right, and, and they have various types. So and I we don't, suspect it's less than that for this screen. But we don't know for but sure. But we don't know. And I don't know how to test that, quite frankly, like what percentage of yeah, I don't either. sunlight's coming through. But enough, because the screen had been there 
all fall since those plant things were planted and they're doing fine. So the wheels are turning and I'm thinking, okay, maybe we do try one or two beds and we build those that we can attach here. And by the way, if you're wondering, oh, how do they stay on there on the beds? There's it's like your old the old fashioned type window latch or door uh, screen door latch. Screen door latch. Um, actually, my grandmother used to have those in her screen windows too. Okay, long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but they it latches on to the the wood. Outside to outside. Outside to outside. So you know you don't have to worry about wind blowing it away or that kind of thing. But if that could be a multi-purpose barrier for us. Both, even planting squash when you need your insect barrier, you just have to take it off in time when the when the blooms start. But um, it might actually be a good way to protect a lot of plants as well as you've got some built-in frost protection. And we think that in our 16-foot-long beds, we probably would do two 8-foot length of right. um, barriers and just put them end-to-end when we wanted to use them yeah. for an entire bed. Right. Because you put a 16-foot-long one of these together, and it's probably not going to have enough rigidity to last it just, well. It would be unwieldy. Right. right so. All right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what happened in the structures. Here in, the, in our little home in the barn, uh, we lost both the outdoor utility sinks, meaning things froze up so they couldn't be used. They weren't damaged. They just couldn't be, we couldn't use them for a, yeah. a couple of days. Um, and then we had some brief loss of the use of our indoor toilet here in the um, apartment. Um, And I'm realizing now what we should have done was to flush that toilet regularly during the night, knowing that we were getting that cold. Right. And I go outside to pee, and that's what I did that night, so that toilet didn't get used all night. It's an easy matter for me on a really, really cold night like that. I'll just pee inside and flush the toilet regularly, and we should be better off with that. Keep the water flowing. Up the hill in the lodge, things were a little more compromised. We lost all the water service to the lodge for... Half a day, maybe. Yeah, half a day, maybe a little less than half a day. And then even after the water came back, we still couldn't use one toilet in the lodge. The other one was fine. The other one was fine. And we think what's going on is that up above the living space, we've got some cold water line that is unprotected by insulation. It should have been protected. We paid the people to complete the job but who knows maybe they skipped a space or something right so we'll figure out what needs to be done there and um, maybe take a couple of cans of fomafil up there and find that that exposed line and cover it up so that it's not as unprotected Um, and that should help in the long run Mm -hmm. there and we think probably the breach to the you know the freezing to the whole lodge probably happened close to the pump house where the freshwater line comes up pretty close to the surface at a couple of points. And we we think we'll just try dumping some extra soil on those points and see if we can't get a little more protection. The only casualty we had was the wall-mounted faucet that's outside the lodge I should have had a cutoff there, thought we did have a cutoff, but we didn't. 
And as a result, I was not able to cut that off. All I did was wrap the faucet in a towel, and that was not enough. It actually froze, and the block of the faucet has a rupture now, and we can't use it. So we're going to have to swap that faucet out. Which will happen, and we will have a cutoff installed. <laughs> so so the next time we're expecting that kind of weather, we just turn turn it off, turn yeah. the water off. Um, so now that we know, I guess the lesson we learned from as far as our vegetable gardening was that the frost blanket made a difference. It, it really did make a difference. We we would we always thought it helped. We just didn't realize what a difference it made. But we know now. And it was a hassle to deploy it and then have to put it back up later. But it's worth it because it saved everything that we used it on. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, everything that was vulnerable that we didn't use it on was damaged in some way. Right. So it, it's been, uh, this is um, Agrabond AG30, and I'll include a link to that on the show notes page. We bought a great big roll of it um, and have not even begun using that roll. We got a lot more we could go we could use, so we're in great shape in terms of having more to use if we need it. So anyway, we appreciate your being with us to hear our tale of woe about the weather. But as we said earlier, we know that it could have been so much worse. And Absolutely. Unfortunately, I don't, I'm not sure mm-hmm. we qualify as a tale of woe because yeah. we, we really came through it fairly well. And because we know and think about the people who did not come through it so well, either from property damage or loss of, of livestock, um, loss of life and... Um, so we, we just are very um, thankful and a little bit smarter than we were before. Quick note about next week. We're hoping to share with you some information from the conference at Southern SOG down in Mobile, Alabama. We've always followed Southern SOG with interest and are looking forward to sharing with you some of the things that are going on down there. So have a great week, and we'll catch up with you next time. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.